0: Welcome to In Conversation, the regular podcast of Encompass. Go to encompass-europe.com for free access to all our podcasts to date. Uh, This is Paul Adamson, and this podcast is the fourth in a series I'm conducting with Nobody Left Outside, NLO for short. The NLO is a collective of organizations representing people in some of the most marginalized communities in Europe, including homeless people, LGTBI people, people who use drugs, prisoners, sex workers, and undocumented migrants people in these groups are known to be at greater risk of poor health, while at the same time facing many barriers in accessing healthcare. The COVID-19 crisis has brought into sharp focus the stark inequalities in access to health and social services for marginalized people who often exist outside formal healthcare and social support systems. With this podcast series, we would like to build on the momentum which is now being built, casting a spotlight on the situation of marginalized people in Europe during the NLO week to create time and space for representatives of these communities to share their first-hand experience, challenges, and potential solutions. The NLO initiative as a whole, NLO Week 2020, and this podcast series have been initiated and are supported financially by MSD, although the views expressed in this podcast are those of the invited guests and not necessarily those of MSD. For further background information, you can go to the NLO website, nobodyleftoutside.eu. This podcast is different from the previous three, in that we're going to be talking about photojournalism and user-generated photography, because there's a new exhibition, NLO Point of View exhibition, to accompany NLO Week, uh, whose curator is Alan Compton, a photojournalist. We're also joined by Roberto Perez-Gallo of Correlation, Dennis Onyango of the African Advocacy Organization, and Alina Smith of PICUM the platform for international cooperation on undocumented migrants. I'm going to start with you, Alan. Before we start talking about user-generated photography and this particular exhibition, uh, I want to ask you about you and what made you become a photojournalist in the first place. Um,
1: I guess I was in TV and a film for 15 years or so and then had a shift in my life where I decided to only exclusively work with non-profits from that moment onwards so for the last five years i've been working around the world with a really diverse selection of organizations and causes doing different kinds of film photography and
0: creative um, productions for those kinds of organizations and so what is there for alan what is user-generated photography it seems like i should know the answer to that question but put me straight
1: yeah um so user-generated content is content created by independent voices so not the voice of a brand or an organization so from a social impact perspective this would be content created by the service
0: users okay and why what purpose does it so why why go down this path in the first place
1: um user-generated content is uh, I think I think the most authentic and sustainable way to capture stories that are at the at the heart of an organization's mission. Um, like, I I love to travel. I love to take my camera with me. I like to do the storytelling, but you cannot replicate the authenticity of someone telling their own story, and that's essentially what user generated content
0: is. And do you see yourself as a, as a facilitator helping other people to take their own images of, of their situation? Or are you also like a, a documentarist actually uh, trying to be a witness of what's going on?
1: Um, it's probably a bit of both. Um, but it is all about um, listening and seeing somebody else and just encouraging them to believe that we see value in their voice and for them to really be empowered by that to the point at which the stories that they choose to share have the um, have just unlimited authenticity and impact to them.
0: Yeah I think we all agree frankly that the images and photography are, are more compelling than than the written word A picture paints a thousand words as they say but do, do, you, do you know to know why obviously you're maybe you're a tiny bit biased because that is your profession that's how you earn your living but what is what is behind the, the 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 impact and the power of these images
1: um i, I definitely wouldn't want to separate the story the you know the, the written story that connects with the image um but what i think what's what's wonderful about this process is that um it's impossible to predict what kind of stories people are going to share and how they're going to share them um because everybody's so wildly and wonderfully unique Um, all of these stories reflect that when an organization chooses to communicate there's a certain amount of predictability in the way that they would tell their stories but there's absolutely no predictability here and there's a magic in there that reflects humanity
0: itself. I I introduced you as the curator also of the NLO point of view exhibition how did that particular gig come about? (laughs) Um,
1: I think this links back to Dennis, um, because I did a project with the Africa Advocacy Foundation um, called Unheard Voices, um, where we did quite a beautiful, elaborate photographic tableau series that talked about um, um, access to healthcare um, within the community that Dennis deals with. And I believe that um, Julie was at an exhibition that showed those images and um, it was quite a unique way of trying to illustrate and picture a community.
0: And I think that's, that particular project resonated quite a lot. Okay, Julia Venturella, right, okay. Um, I'm going to turn now to, to you, Dennis, if I may. Before I ask you about your views about photography as, as a tool of, of advocacy, a few words for you, what does your organization do, the African Advocacy Organization?
2: Um, so thank you. Um, uh, uh, African Advocacy Foundation was uh, uh, started uh, around 1996, um, at a time when um, there were a lot of uh, migrants, uh, people from African diaspora, in London particularly, and it was a time when, you know, um, HIV was a big problem. Uh, a lot of people were dying. There wasn't much treatment options at that time. And so it's one of those organizations that were set up that were sort of specific to various diverse communities. Uh, to look at how um, uh, promotion HIV promotion can be uh, could be pro, uh, done, and how people could be ta- talked um, I mean um, made aware of the risks of HIV and the transmission. So, it has moved. Obviously, the landscape has changed, and the organization's work has kind of expanded to include the human rights, to look at the rights of women and girls. But also, we retain a core service around HIV services. So, we we might mainly work with migrant communities um, um, in Europe and and we work around
0: healthcare, uh, healthcare access and also on the rights of women and girls. Okay, so, so how has your organization incorporated this kind of photography into your own advocacy efforts?
2: Yeah, so we traditionally work obviously with communities that are experiencing several bodies um, uh, uh, in terms of language, in terms of uh, the immigration status, uh, faith, culture, but also not understanding the systems and how the systems work, um, especially when it comes to healthcare. And so people are not aware of their rights. There's a lot of discrimination, um, a lot of negativity towards migrants. As you may know now, um, there's a lot of hate and campaign and xenophobia uh, around, and misinformation clearly around migration. And so um, what we realized through our work was that a lot of um, people we supported had um, stories to tell, but they could not actually put out those stories. Some of them had very incredible stories around their migration journeys. Uh, others had very interesting stories around, um, you know, transition from uh, living, being in Africa to coming and living in the UK and the conflicts around culture, race, um, uh, around, you know, the power play between clinicians and, and patients mm. uh, where they come traditionally from communities where they, you trust the doctor with everything and that doctor-patient conversation doesn't always have So we um, had um, an idea to kind of empower people to tell their stories through photography. And this, um, you know, was quite captured very nicely, especially as Alan has uh, mentioned on the Unheard Voices, where we were looking at history, um, the story of uh, migrants living in London uh, who are living with HIV. And so um, they had like uh, very interesting stories around family, their dreams, their hopes.
0: And, and, and so and hard
2: Voices captured this very, very nicely. And uh, we felt that this is something that we could replicate on the NLO platform.
0: Was it relatively straightforward, easy for you and your colleagues to convince these people to, to participate? Or was there a, a kind of a barrier, at least initially, of suspicion to get over?
2: That's a very good question, Paul. Um the, the, the um the challenge is always there that especially at the condition, HIV as a condition is quite highly stigmatized in our communities, whether it's in Africa or in Europe. And so it's really quite difficult. I mean, if you look at the, um, uh, the, so the two, especially in the UK, the two most affected communities are men who have sex with men or African heterosexual people. And if you look at both groups, you know, a lot of um, gay men are, are quite confident about their status of HIV. They Quite uh, happy to share their experiences and to talk and inspire, whereas our communities people are quite stigmatized, and uh, there's always that fear that even if you're open about your HIV status in the UK, you know, with social media, if your family at home don't know, it might be a big problem. So what 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 we did, um, what we've always done is that we have a core group of uh, of, of, of advocates of so people who are quite happy with their status who are inspiring, and so um, the initial conversations, of course, are quite difficult. And uh, for a lot of those people, some of them just wanted to have subtle information. Their own messages there to accompany the photographs, not necessarily talking about their status. But we also realized that we had to make it a platform where people would feel comfortable, you know, celebrating other aspects of their life and not just HIV. So this quite made it made the conversation easier because if somebody had a nice dress,
1: yeah. you
2: know, we wanted to show that dress and not see them as an HIV patient, but see them right. as a successful African woman.
0: A celebration as well. Excellent. Okay, we'll come back to that, Dennis, I promise you. And i move now to Alina. Alina, since you represent uh, your colleagues un- undocumented migrants, was there a particular challenge for you and your colleagues to to get people to take part because they were worried about their, their legal status, I suppose?
3: Oh, thank you, Paul. I would say that, uh, indeed, just as Dennis was saying a moment ago, there is a really a very significant challenge um, with undocumented people in terms of them really... Um, feeling comfortable and having the trust of of putting them putting themselves out there, if you will. Right. Um, and so, I think that is something that 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 really very much um, makes this kind of initiative very very important. Um, but it also makes it very important that it's done with a lot of sensitivity mm-hmm. to the fact that um, uh, people face stigmatization, criminalization because of their regular status, um, and just have a lot of misgivings about. Um, about putting themselves out there, uh, if you will. Um, That being said, um, uh, I should maybe say just briefly that PECUM we're a network. So I work in the secretariat in Brussels. So um, it's really our members who do the direct work with undocumented people and in different countries in in the EU. And when I approached uh, this member, uh, Amber Med in in Vienna, about participating in this exhibition, there was really just no hesitation at all. All right. Um, And so, I think that there was really um, an enthusiasm about the opportunity to really give uh, some visibility in a very human way to the the realities that they see every day in their clinic, which they run in Vienna for people who are without insurance, um, many of whom have uh, irregular status. And so um, I think... um, uh, so the fact, I think, that uh, they work directly with these individuals, that they're the ones really providing the direct care can really help to mitigate the, the concern about um, confidence and trust. Um, and uh, so I think, I think that's a very important part of this, that these are, these are patients, these are individuals who are very much um, already in a relationship of trust with, with the clinic. Um, but I think it's very important that we have these images, but we also have them accompanied by the words and the, the voice, if you will, of the individual to give additional context and to explain where they're coming from. Um, and I thought it was very telling that in the particular um, story that is told um, um, in, in in this case, no, we see the realities of isolation of people with uh, irregular status. Um, um, we see the realities of, of their strong reliance on NGOs to provide what we would normally think of as the type of services that that the state would provide. But we also see, um, in in her own words, um, you know, I'm a strong woman, and, and the context of, you know, of, of telling that part of 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 her experience as well. Um, so I think that speaks to what Alan was saying earlier as well about this empowerment piece, um, that they can, that these individuals can showcase their, their own individual circumstances and their own individual strength um, in the context, frankly, of, of quite quite uh, difficult and challenging reactions.
0: Okay. Well, we'll come back in a moment to talk about sort of not so much lessons learned, but the scope that all of you can see from your different perspectives for going forward for this kind of uh, instrument, if you like, you can call it an instrument. Uh, turning to you, Roberto. I mean, you represent people who who take drugs, and of course, in many. Uh, jurisdictions drugs are not legal so the whole issue of criminalization and you spoke very passionately about that in the, in an earlier podcast we did together. Um, so what were the challenges for you in terms of the people you represent in, in trying to convince them to take part in, uh, in this kind of exercise?
4: Yeah the same that actually Dennis and Alina have mentioned in, indeed uh, The community we work with and for in many countries actually are criminalized by their drug use, the drug possession, so already in many occasions this generates a a reluctance to participate in these projects because it can generate actually a position of vulnerability. And also, we need to consider that taking drugs is oftentimes also intersecting with other positions, which could be a position of being also migrant, also be a sex worker. So there is like a, a, a conjointed level of vulnerabilities that is happening. So there's like a big reluctance to this. Also, we experience that oftentimes people who use drugs have been already portrayed by media and also like by studies, data sets in such a way which actually they are seen as all criminals or seeing as patients yeah. that actually they feel like they don't want to be contributing or participating to this so for yeah. us Luckily, we also, besides being the network, we are also hosted by a by a service provider. It was an opportunity also like to work with people we already have the trust to be working with, and also like the opportunity to demystify a tiny bit the spaces which we are, because we decided to to work with a person that comes quite often to one of our drug consumption rooms. Mm-hmm. So it was a way of like showing not only the services but also the life of the person through the lens, and also like give the opportunity to the person to decide the level of uh, the level of visibility or opacity that the person wants to have, because oftentimes also like there is a level of visibility that they don't want to have, because actually it is like the opacity or not being seen what is generating safety. So then Salida was giving the parameters actually for the person we work with to just decide on that.
0: I wonder whether, from your given the people you represent, Roberto, whether there's a particular challenge. And obviously, this what I'm about to say makes sense because, unlike other groups in the uh, NLO um, network coalition, uh, I know that authorities often use photographs, right, of, of drug addicts, if you can call them addicts, victims of drug abuse uh, addiction, uh, to to dissuade, discourage people from going down that path. Obviously, so you have the authorities themselves on the other side, quote unquote, using. Very compelling and very stark images, right? For, for for shocking purposes, they're they're very direct about that, right? They're not subtle. They are there to shock people and to make them think. So, was that part of a, a was that a particular problem for you?
4: I guess that for us the question that is at the back of our mind is the area that representation in itself is a privilege and that not anybody has the capacity to represent themselves. Whether it is like a person who uses drugs or if it's a person that is experiencing poverty or homelessness, oftentimes the point of view is from someone else and then oftentimes how this representation is done has the danger of projecting or reproducing certain stigmatizing views. Mm -hmm. So for us, of course, one of the things that we wanted to put forward is this capacity of like in a very visually centered culture that is also very much related to certain narratives of what is happening is actually to question this, like the position. What is the point of view from which we are looking at people and how can we actually look at things through the eye of a person in their own terms and highlight the conditions around that?
0: right okay i'll go back to you alan um of course you're you're the artist in the group you're not a professional advocate maybe you are in other ways but uh, for the purpose of this conversation you are the the artist and the curator of the exhibition so when it comes to your uh, your contribution uh, how do you how do you manage to kind of balance maybe have, having an impact but also having the kind of the if i may use the word the aesthetic side uh, t- taken into account as well is there a Is there a kind of tension there between being impactful but also being kind of aesthetic that's the right word yeah um and i think that
1: aesthetic value um can quite easily be wrapped up in the the ego of a creative and what's Mm -hmm. so wonderful about a process like this is it's letting go of that a lot of the work that i choose to create myself um, is ridiculously cinematic and over Mm -hmm. the top and staged and it's it's that way for a reason, but that's my particular style, and my particular style isn't relevant to to, to you know the majority of storytelling that needs to be done within the sector. Um, so the first thing I need to do is throw away all of my um, creative aesthetic based um, judgments and, and and spend time with an image. But the funny thing is, is th- there's no different from. One of my images or one of the images that comes from this group, you know something when you see it and you know kind of like a truth about something. Um, I can look through a hundred of my own images and I I know the one that communicates in in a special way. And it's the the same with the images that take part in this exhibition. Um, And I think it was easier to see it. And it was almost exclusively existing in all of the images that they showed because there was no pretense about it. It was absolutely authentic and honest and intimate and um, I think that's why each of these series of images is so
0: powerful. Yeah okay and, and Dennis back to you. Um, photography is not new but maybe photography uh, as an adjunct or as an element of advocacy is much newer. To what extent now do you think that this kind of photography as uh, shown in this exhibition is will be much more integral in the kind of work you're doing going forward or was it just like a one-off nice-to-have thing at the time?
2: Um, I I think that, uh, you know, we've uh, come to a point where we need to highlight voices that are not heard in various ways. And I think that, uh, you know, um, the NLO um, platform in itself really uh, for us has has kind of been able to put uh, voices at a level that they wouldn't have actually been heard. Mm. Um, And I'll take a case of um, the lady who who, I'm in the family that appeared on Mm. the photo sheet. Uh, this is a lady who um, has a husband who um, is 81 years old, Who um, uh, they're open living with HIV. Uh, she joined her husband um, about seven years ago, um, and, and, and she didn't have right to, to medical care in the UK. So you know, even though she was very open about her HIV status, she wasn't be able to be treated for other conditions that she had, and this was a big problem. And while so she was caring for an older person, and at the same time she was being hounded to pay debts, uh, you know, for um, a minor operation that's related to HIV that she had um, she had um, she had undergone, and so um, you know. That voice would not have been heard if it wasn't for the fact that we were able to um to to work with this family to put them uh, um you know uh, on this platform, and I think that their voice has been heard in our know, in European in you know at the European level, which uh, is quite you know um, not not easy to achieve if you're working with the community locally in London for example. So I think that photography as is very powerful as a means of advocacy. Uh, we have alluded to the unheard voices um photo shoot, which is actually being used now by F- Fast tracks cities that would like to be able to show it, you know, as a way of getting London to zero HIV. But I think that for communities that are not hard, we should allow them to tell stories in ways they can, whether it is poetry, whether it's photography, we should be able to share the positivity, uh, how the positive, uh, you know, aspects of community cohesion. And I think that there's nothing that shows that better than having very positive images about people. Because most of the time, our communities are characterized as those people who are hard to reach, who cannot, uh, you know, be engaged easily. And I think that, uh, you know, it's the services that really do not uh, reach people. So if there is a chance uh, to use photography to get a lens into somebody's life, Mm -hmm. I think it's powerful. And we are continuing to do this. I think that we have, uh, have, uh, uh, you know, we've been beaten by the bug. of (laughs) (laughs) So I think that we're going to try and find ways of doing our advocacy as an organization at all levels using this platform. Right. And Alina, well, let
0: me ask you something quite similar. You talked uh, just now about the need, of course, to have to show great sensitivity and understanding with your, with your subjects, if you like, I can call them subjects. Um, And I know your, your network is a very large network, but to, to what extent do you think now that this kind of uh, approach is going to become a more and more integral part of your own uh, advocacy in the future?
3: I would just once again echo what Dennis said. I, I think the, uh, the lens, if you will, of photography is extraordinarily powerful and, and I think in, we, we see that precisely in this particular example. Um, and, I, and I think one of the reasons it, it is so powerful is that it, it really helps to break stereotypes. And I think for all of us working in and with these different um, groups, there's just this incredibly strong tendency to view people through this singular lens of um, you know being undocumented or being a person who uses drugs or whatever the case may be. Um, very, very. Um, one-dimensional um, and often extremely negative, with so much negative connotation to that. And and when you have a visual representation, when you have um, photographs, especially as I mentioned earlier, accompanied by a person's um, a person's own words, you, you break through that, you know. And and I think also on the issue of access to healthcare, it can be easy to think of um, access to healthcare in, in fairly simplistic ways. And, and I think it's 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 so um, compelling to see that it's not just about oh I can't have a doctor's visit oh I can't get an appointment to see so and so, but I have breast cancer and it hasn't it just affects every dimension of my life. That because of something as arbitrary as my my administrative status, um, there's so many access um, aspects of support and services and care that are closed to me. That's just it's such a it it goes so much beyond the this this kind of one-dimensional understanding of a person's experience. So we have definitely been moving towards using um, more visual, uh, more visual representations. Um, we just published a, a, a book of stories, actually called "Removed," on people's lives after they've been deported, and it doesn't, in this case, include photographs, but it includes their own artwork depicting their experience and their their their. Um, um, what it's meant to them, the the trauma and and experience of of deportation. Um, And so I I think, again, these images, especially those that really come, um, are articulating and articulated by the individual, are really, really powerful. And we definitely, in our communications and our advocacy, are moving towards using more of this and we would welcome more opportunities to work with photographers. Right.
0: That's a pretty <laughs> obvious hint. I'm sure. You know. Okay. I'm going to move on to Roberto in a second. Uh, we are coming to the end of this great discussion. So before I give the floor to Roberto, just, uh, just let you all know to not to put you on the spot. Uh, I'm going to give you the floor in a second after Roberto say a few words or something about your, your, your hope for the future, recommendation for the future, something you've learned, all of you, you want to share with other advocates and other Uh, in other areas so that's your your homework to think about in the next few seconds. Uh, Roberto uh, coming back to you, um, so to what extent do you think uh, that your organization now will be using photography uh, almost without question? It's a a no-brainer to use this as a very important tool in your own advocacy.
4: Yeah absolutely we have been working already with photography and we will continue working with photography because we see that not only how these images are put out there can become an act of advocacy but it's the content of the images in itself which is actually a gesture of advocacy. If you look at the exhibition that we have been putting forward and Alan has been coordinating, we see something that is uh, incredibly powerful because we see something that challenges almost like a false separation between politics of injustice and ordinary life. In these pictures, we can see how people are living, how they are working, how they are eating, entertaining themselves. And then these spaces, that they are normally spaces considered as unjust, also they are spaces of Potential resistors. There are spaces of care in which people are caring for each other. Are spaces full of dignity, full of justice, and also they are showing how ourselves, our communities, the communities we work with and for, actually know how to address the crisis we are facing. It's a question of like, densely the narrative is completely changed because it's not. There is not a need for a hero or for a savior that comes in here. There is just a need for accountability and for we looking at the structural conditions that actually are getting on the way. Way for our communities and ourselves to be really able to enact the care that we are already able to do. So I think that for us is like incredibly powerful and it's also we can be challenging as Alina and then were we saying certain narratives they are so completely widespread.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you but we only have a short there's a the time left, I'm afraid. So a few seconds, each of you, to round off. I'm going back in the same order. Uh, you could use those precious few seconds as, uh, in any which way you want to in terms of giving some suggestions for the future or reinforcing a message you've already given during this, this great uh, conversation. Starting with you, Alan, any parting thoughts you'd like to share with us? Thank you. Um,
1: yeah, i worked on more, uh, more user-generated projects since this one. Um, I've witnessed more and more the transformation in individuals when someone really invests in their voice, um, in their thoughts and feelings. And I think once someone feels this way, their, their ability to share inspiring, insightful stories skyrockets. And I think that's why I believe so much in this approach. And, and it's something that any organization can do if they take the time
0: to communicate with their community in this way. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Dennis, your parting thoughts, my friend.
2: Well, mine is just that I've been very um, um, impressed with the the work we've done through the Nobody Left Out initiative. I like that it's a link uh, to policy, to decision makers, with community voices. And I think that my hope for the future is that uh, it continues to grow uh, that we continue to share our experiences. Uh, as we did, you know, with the recent briefing paper that we did for the WHO, which brought all of our ideas together. I think that is genuine engagement. And, um, you know, I would love uh, the opportunity to continue uh, being part of this platform and to continue using it to highlight voices of those people we, we serve. As my colleagues, uh, you know, um, Robert and Alina have, have said, you know, we, we, we have the power to to, to, shape, to shape services. And I think that we can do well through this forum.
0: Okay, thank you. Alina.
3: I think what this exhibit has shown, what this work has shown, is is not only the situations of challenge and vulnerability that people confront, but, you know, as, as Roberto was saying, the incredible innovations that are already happening, the, the strength that exists, the initiatives that are already um, in place um, to... Um, to address people's challenges and to to really empower them and to bring them what they need. And, and I think that's incredibly positive. And a lot of what we're trying to do with NLO is to really give a lot more visibility to what's already happening. Some really, really um, important and innovative work already happening um, in these local and community contexts. Um, but they need to be supported. Um, they need to be sustainable. And as I was already said, we need to be addressing the systemic barriers to them really being as effective um, as they need to be.
0: Thank you. A final word to you, Roberto.
4: I think that for me, what I would, li- would like to continue seeing in that this uh, exhibition does but also the NLO is to continue foster this culture of solidarity because actually what we see in these images actually is actually is like moving forward from this narrative of success because we live in a culture that tends to blame individuals and then Sally when we see all of these exhibitions we see all of these actually communities that they are like facing all of these challenges then Sally we see that this level of, 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 of oppression and the difficulty is much more structural and then Sally that creates an open door for all of us as organizations, but all of us in general citizens, to be really able that what we need to be having at the moment is accountability and be looking at the structural factors that actually are creating these patterns of exclusion. And I think this f- a culture of solidarity is something we can really like continue building upon.
0: Thank, thank you. Uh, to his great we have to bring this to a, a close, unfortunately. To his great credit, Alan said at the beginning, even though he's a photojournalist, uh, images on their own are not enough. We do have to have words. But then I pick up the words of, of Dennis, who said, if you basically, you need a voice. And I think it's by combining images and words that you, you create this voice. Uh, and I think that is a wonderful opportunity. And I'll credit all of you involved in the exhibition uh, to making it happen. May, may you continue and, and grow in, in impact and power in the future. Thank you all very much for your time.